Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Jay and Ellie, and I would escape the underworld with the help of my best friend, Dak Faden, who's definitely alive. He's not. I'm Lorelai Weissel, and if I was going to escape the underworld, I would just walk out. I don't know why everyone's worried about this, oh, the Cerberus is going to eat you thing. Like, they're just dogs. You just give them a bone and give them some belly rubs, and they just let you go. They, they just become your friends. Just just be nice to the dogs, and you get out of the underworld. It's so easy. So, hello, everybody. We have just a little bit of news for you today in that there's a new secret layer coming out. So this secret layer is a one-off, and at this point I'm guessing we're going to be getting one-off secret layers on the regular at the very least. They mentioned on Weekly MTG uh, last Thursday that there are plans for some multiple events like they did with the first one and some one-offs like this one. So there's going to be a mix throughout the year. So we'll just have to wait and see. I think the last one was a whole lot at once to throw at people, especially with limited notice right before Christmas. I would much prefer like one-offs like this for 40 bucks. I could I could do 40 bucks out of my discretionary budget in a month. I can't do $200 out of nowhere out of in my discretionary budget for a month, but I could do 40 bucks. That reminds me, you owe me $200. I owe you nothing. That's correct. I was lying. <laughs> so the theme of this one is Year of the Rat. And some of the artwork in here is just spectacular. So we have four new pieces, two Kamigawa legendaries, uh, all of these to celebrate the Lunar New Year, uh, also sometimes known as the Chinese New Year, but it's celebrated all throughout East and Southeast Asia. Inkai's Servant of Oni by Zheng Shen is this fantastic ink work. Oh my god, it's it's just so gorgeous. It's so flavorful for ink eyes. Uh, it's a gorgeous ink painting that you have to you really have to see to believe. And then we have a very cute marrow non marrow nar by Jen Ravenna, who continues to display her awesome range with this artwork. In that she has this adorable piece. She has her own ink work, you know, the, the, um, what's the saga she did? I can't remember the name, the Bolas one. The Eldest Reborn. Yeah, so she has the Eldest Reborn and all this other artwork that's just all over the spectrum and they're all great. Marinar looks too cute in this one. It's just adorable. I think it's the exact right amount of cute. Then we also got uh, Rat Colony. With some uh, adorable art of rats. And what was the last one? I can't remember. Pack rat. And pack rats, yeah. All of which look excellent. Um, it was... It, this one's a nice surprise. I Initially, I wasn't thinking I was going to get it. But that... that uh, both that Maronar art and the Ink Eyes art is really tempting. Yeah, there are two cards that are like really big commander cards now. They've never been reprinted, I don't think. Ink Eyes has been, like, once. Yeah, yeah, Ink Eyes was, I think, maybe in the plane chase, right? Yeah. But uh, I, I believe this is the first reprinting from Maronar, uh, who's a popular rat commander. So uh, these go on sale January 27th, like the previous things. It's going to be up on the website for 24 hours. That's secretlayer.wizards.com. Super duper neat, 40 bucks. They're extending their shipping range for this one 
it's neat. I like these products. They are very targeted audience, and I'm excited to see what else they do this year. Okay, so let's move on to our feature for the week, Flavor Gems of Theros Beyond Death. So the first thing I want to talk about is some of the new world building in this set. So the first thing I want to talk about is uh, the Minotaur Polis of Skophos, which is based on the uh, Labyrinth of Crete, uh, which is very, very flavorful because, you know, that's where the whole Minotaur myth comes from. Uh, the Polis itself is built beyond the Badlands of Phoboros, and it is designed as a giant maze by itself. Th- here, there's actual like um, an actual Minotaur civilization on Theros, whereas, well, whereas before the Minotaurs were kind of these just purely bloodthirsty tribes, we've now learned that those are like the outer fringes of Minotaur society, and there are many Minotaurs who uh, live, if not normal lives, much more maybe civilized. I, I don't necessarily like that word, but uh, they're, they're, they're definitely not eating people on a regular basis, although they still will mostly kill people. Yeah, like Scophos, I mean, they're, they're still Mogus worshippers. Scophos still has a huge monument to Mogus. They're still going to do blood rituals in the service of their god of slaughter. But they're not, like, the wandering Minotaur we saw in the last set are near feral bands that just kind of wander through the wilderness and slaughter things. Whether or not they had, like, human levels of intelligence was in question compared to other planes. Yeah, Scophos is a city with city folk in it, is is the best way to describe it, I think. We also get introduced to the underworld. I guess guess introduced is the wrong word. We've known it has existed. Um, Erebos lives there. We saw uh, Ravos in uh, a commander product, and we saw a little bit of the underworld in the IDW comics when Dak Faden is going down there to find Ashiok. In this set, we really get an expanded view of what the underworld actually looks like and weirdly enough it's divided up into five different domains it's kind of weird number for magic i know and it makes sense because in like the actual underworld in greek mythology this one has like a bunch of different tortures um I will broadly use that word. Uh, There are different regions of the underworld where people tend to go based on the lives they live. So the first one is the generally white-aligned realm of Phileas. We can see a description of it on the card Dreadful Apathy, uh, where the flavor text says, "Those Those whose lives were uninspired are doomed to the wretched tedium of Phileas and death. This is a world where the rote monotony and structure are just overwhelmingly grinding on the sense of self and soul and sanity and the like the boredom of having to do the same thing over and over in tedium is just the thing that destroys you. So uh, I like that it gets to be the underworld. It gets to be this kind of Greek torture and it gets to be unambiguously white aligned in magic so then the blue area is called nerono uh 
we can see flavor text for this on Memory Drain, which says, Alithos sat and stared blankly out over the glassy oceans of Nerono, trying in vain to remember what he knew he had forgotten. This takes a lot of inspiration from uh, Lethe, a river in the Greek underworld where if you drank its waters, you would start to lose your memories and sense of identity. So uh, the waters in Nerono function similarly. When you get stuck here, you you feel compelled to drink the water to try and regain your memories, but it actually saps them even faster. So people in Nerono tend to not know who they are. They tend to not know what they've done in their life. They just kind of wander around aimlessly as all parts of their psyche get lost to an endless eroding ocean. It's a good place to go for those who've experienced the misery of the underworld for too long and they just kind of want to give up. The black aligned part of the underworld is called Tyzerus. First of all, this is the realm where Erebos's palace is. And around Erebos's palaces is an area called the Mire of Punishment. There is an exit from the underworld here that people try to get to, but most people die in the Mire of Punishment and become Misera. So, like, the fields around Erebos's palace are just filled with statues of the final deaths of poor unfortunate souls. But we learn a little bit about what it's like to exist in Tyzerus. So on Cling to Dust, the flavor text, in bleak Tyzerus, all hope crumbles in your grasp. This is a place where you think you're gonna be okay and then you never are. And that just kind of erodes over time. And then we get a small little glimpse in Fruit of Tyzerus. One spiny tree with bitter fruit grows in the realm of Tyzerus, outside the palace of Erebos. This is a reference to the pomegranates from Greek mythology, where um, if you ate the seeds of a pomegranate, you would be stuck in the underworld and unable to leave. So this is a little Greek moment that gets into the black section. The red realm is called Agonis, and its summary is pretty clear in the flavor text of Final Flare. Those who fought without honor and life are taken to Agonis and doomed to fight forever in its arenas. Uh, it's easily the most violent area of the underworld, where everything is always trying to kill everything else. Um, just endless swarms of horrors and giants and elementals and monsters that uh, the loser heroes, who were crappy at being heroes, have to try and fight for their lives as they continuously die again and again until they become Mizera and, like, you know, chucked into ravines or crushed under the weight of other battles. And it's just violent and brutal and it just never ends. And then finally, there's the nice part, the green aligned area of Elysia. Elysian Caryatid has the best flavor text for this one that explains, Those who die as heroes are permitted to dwell in Elysia, a protected realm of the underworld as tranquil and vibrant as the rest is bleak. So this is the, uh, you know, the Elysium of of this world where uh, things are actually good. If you if you are a hero, you get to go to the good part of the underworld where things are great. This is where Elspeth went. I don't think we have any other confirmed denizens except Ashiok, but Ashiok can kind of go wherever Ashiok wants. The other major thing that was introduced in this set is the missing red green god Clothis, and where she was this whole time. So Clothis is the god of destiny. It is her job to 
weave the fabric of fate that sets things in motion and make sure that things that are supposed to happen happen. Here's the thing. Way back thousands of years ago, uh, when the gods were young and Theros was young, the mortal realm was ruled by these primordial elemental giants, the Titans. Uh, we meet Croxa, the Titan of Death's Hunger, and Uro, Titan of Nature's Wrath, in this set. They were causing all kinds of destruction, and, and the mortals prayed and prayed and prayed, someone help us. So the gods rose and fought the Titans and imprisoned them in the underworld. And to make sure that they did not escape, Clothis said, hey, I'm going to stay down here and be their jailer. So it's the Temple of Abandon because Clothis essentially left the Pantheon and was forgotten because she, you know, took herself out of out of her job in Nyx and in the mortal realm and just kind of stood around in the underworld and chained up some titans. That's in the saga, The Binding of the Titans. So uh, what happens in this set is that when Clothis comes back, because everyone's been screwing around with Destiny and she's very angry about it and wants to put things in place. The Titans escape and start wrecking havoc again. So we see two of those in this set. And that's that's kind of the, the Titans versus Olympians theme from Greek mythology, where, where Crox is kind of like Cronus, the, the father of the Olympians, who ate them one by one because there was a prophecy that they would overthrow him so so the eating thing is kind of crox's deal and uro is this um creative and destructive nature thing so um kind of a combination of gaia and oranos the vault of the sky and and the wealth of the earth and and those kinds of forces of creation and destruction happening at once they're neat i i think they're very cool world building uh, people people now that the um some art of Croxa has been shared in high res. People are discovering that every orifice on his body is a mouth, and then there are all kinds of mouths over other parts of his body. So like his eye sockets are mouths, his nostrils are mouths, his ears are mouths. There's like little mouths down his back. His stomach is a giant gaping mouth. It's very scary. It's great. It's fantastic. I love him. I really love the use of uh, the Elder subtype on these to distinguish them from the other giants that have also been named Titans on this in this uh, world. Yeah, they get to be the primordial ruling force. Giants on Theros tend to be elemental in nature anyway, and, and that gets explained. If the first giants in this world were the Titans... And like all other giants on Theros are born from them. It makes sense that they are also elemental beings like Oro and Kroxa and whoever the other titans are. Let's talk about the story of Theros beyond death. So it begins with agonizing remorse. Uh, Elspeth is haunted in paradise by uh, nightmares of her past and horrific things. So we also see that in Elspeth's nightmare. In Agonizing Remorse, we see, you know, this kind of ghostly Daxos that represents her guilt for killing him. In Elspeth's nightmare, we see the Phyrexian Obliterator that uh, Ashiach is taunting her with. Uh, and in these nightmares, Elspeth eventually fights back and she seizes this Nightmare Heliod's spear called the Shadow Spear. Now, Brian is going to interject from 
Beyond the Grave or Orlando, Florida, whichever is closer, with if believing Heliod's spear is fake is wrong, I don't want to be right. So the Shadow Spear, we learn in Triumphant Surge, uh, or in the, the, the blurb that comes with Triumphant Surge, that Elspeth is claiming, as she's fighting her way through the underworld, that the Shadow Spear is the real Spear of Heliod, and that Heliod's is a fake. We also see uh, Daxos being brought back from the dead in Rise to Glory, and being turned into the demigod we see in this set. Uh, we see him holding his returned mask, and with his, his face and his body has been restored, thanks to Heliod. Yeah, uh, so because Elspeth is telling people that her spear is the real Crusor, Heliod's can sense his losing power, and that's worrying him. So he wants to kind of bolster his ability to have power over things and, and bolster people's belief in him. So he creates this demigod Daxos and tells him to go to Miletus and start wiping out the imagery of other gods because everyone should just be loyal to Heliod. And so this pisses off all the other gods and they bring up their demigods and what, what do you know? The gods all turn out to be a bunch of petty jackasses who are at each other's throats all the time. Where have we seen that before on Theros? The answer is last time we were on Theros. They're the worst. All of this is shaking up Theros beyond what Xenagos had already done. And and this is kind of the point where Clothis is like, hey, I'm sick of this. She sends a bunch of agents of fate, her Nyx-born minions, basically, to start correcting things. And she creates one named Calyx, who is specifically designed to track Elspeth and stop her from screwing things up. Uh, Calyx is a Nyxborn human. Uh, he fights with uh, the similar um, spindle thing weapon that Clothis has. And uh, literally his entire goal is to track Elspeth and fight Elspeth. You can see that on the card Relentless Pursuit. Uh, he is He's kind of a... takes on a role of hunter slash cop detective... Thing. It's not really a typical archetype from other stories. He's almost like a Terminator. <laughs> Are you Elspeth? No, but like Terminator is out to like destroy and murder. If Terminator was trying to make things better and put things back together and was a human, then sure, he's Terminator. So uh, he's he's tracking down Elspeth. They end up clashing a couple times, and Elspeth wins every time, but Calyx kind of gets better and better. She gets all the way to Erebos's palace, where she's about to escape the underworld before she's confronted by Heliod, who says, Hey, stop being a jerk. Stop telling people you have my spear. You're supposed to stay down here. I hate you. And Elspeth is like, Hey, I hate you too. So they get in a little fight, but because Elspeth has... You know, word of Elspeth having the true Crusor has spread so far and wide through the underworld and the mortal realm as people have escaped. Uh, the way Theros' magic works is that belief into Nyx becomes reality. So because so many people believe that Heliad has a fake Crusor, Crusor stops being the real Crusor. So in this fight, Heliad's spear crumbles 
um, and he is rendered powerless against Elspeth, who now holds a spear that people believe has godly power. Erebos is very happy about this and says, Hey, Elspeth, you're pretty cool. Thanks for helping me finally vanquish my oldest nemesis. You get a free pass out. So Elspeth leaves the underworld, and we can see this in Elspeth Conquers Death, uh, this beautiful mosaic art piece by Ryan Yee that has her tormented by Ashia, confronting a bunch of horrors, Erebos' horrors, and escaping the underworld with Shadow Spear. And uh, in response to his defeat, Heliod gets really grumpy because he's now crushed under a rock that he's got a hold on his shoulders. Um, we can see that in Heliod's Punishment, the last story spotlight, and Erebos has kind of trapped him under here to laugh at him for all eternity, maybe? Maybe not, if Heliod just disappears because people forget him. I assume we would find out in Theros 3, if there's a, ever a Theros 3. But most importantly, Brian has a note here, because Brian went through and put some notes in this because he couldn't be here. So uh, Brian's input for Heliod's punishment is get bent Heliod, which I think is accurate. Uh, and I made the joke on Twitter, Heliod can have little a punishment as a punishment. And that's the story of this set. A couple quick notes about this set uh, or about this story. So the shadow spear is unique in that it's Ashiok's nightmare magic working in some weird confluence with like the inherent magic of Nyx of or of Theros, I should say. So, you know, if if it was just some random spear, I don't think Elspeth's plan would have worked. Because ordinarily, the belief on Theros takes way more than however long her fight in the underworld was. It takes, like, generations, usually, for collective belief to, to really affect and change something. But we've already seen Ashiok have the ability to use Ashiok's powers, Ashiok's nightmare powers, to birth, like, a proto-god. So we already know Ashiok has the ability to... to their pa their power is very, for lack of a better word, powerful in in <laughs> Re reality bendy, especially on Theros. So they're especially powerful on Theros, which is why this worked out so well. We didn't mention, and I meant to. Uh, Ashiok also sees Elspeth's nightmares of Nuphorexia and pieces out, and is like, "Oh, this is this is glorious!" Like. These are delicious nightmares. I have to go see where this came from. So, yeah, overall, this was this is a good way. At the very least, more people know Elspeth's back than knew she died in the first Theros block. <laughs> yeah, um, which is a low bar, but uh, you know, the the I, I think everyone kind of wishes that there was a uh, a fiction to go along with all of this. Everybody does. Everybody does. Uh, Rosewater has assured folks on Tumblr that those concerns are being heard. Yeah, like it It sucks because I, I think the, the overall structure of the story is pretty great. I would have liked to get more details, but we get what we get. Uh, next, we just wanted to run through the sagas. So we talked about Elspeth's Nightmare, the Binding of the Titans, and Elspeth Conquers Death already because those are kind of story and world building relevant. But uh, so first up is the birth of Miletus. This one depicts Afara dumping out Miletus from her urn as the god of the polis. Uh, she's credited with 
raising this giant city, which we know is actually not true. We know that it's a city that has existed for a long time, uh, was once ruled by a tyrannical archon who was defeated by um, Kaneos and Tiro. So, uh, you know, you're way, way too, way too overwrite queer history, you jerk-ass god. Guardians of Miletus, the card from the original Theros, reminds us that, you know, it, people in the modern day don't know that K and T were uh, boyfriends, but, like, the entire history of the city has been erased under Ifara's creation myth, which is jerky. Uh, Metamai's prophecy refers to some, some of the Planeswalker's Guide lore we knew about Metamai from uh, the original block that really wasn't talked about anywhere. Um, he has a habit of, like, swooping in and prophesizing disasters before they happen, and I has done so many times throughout his life that seems ageless. People don't know actually how old he is. Um, Kiora Best the Sea God, obviously the best card in the set, is a star chart that depicts Thassa's fight with uh, Kiora in the story Drop for Drop by Kelly Diggs, where uh, Kiora go is out on Theros trying to get Eryxmethes to bring back to Zendikar to fight the Eldrazi, but instead leaves with Dekela, Thassa's Bident, and, and that whole story gets to be one of the most powerful cards in the set, which I'm excited about. Uh, Timeret Calls the Dead is showing the returned uh, Timeret, who we'll talk a little bit more about in a sec, and, and raising an undead army of... I guess not raising an... I can't use those words together on this world. Um, <laughs> conscripting an undead army of Returned, uh, because he's a brutal warlord. This is a statue made of Returned masks in the middle of what I assumed is one of the Returned poluses. So Triumph of Annex depicts the moment from uh, Born of the Gods where Annex faces down Rordon the Rageblood. There's like a random supplementary image that didn't make it on a card that depicts this uh if you look at the art at a little bit larger size you can actually see annex kind of this tiny figure in front of that giant minotaur uh but it depicts uh that battle for akros right before xenagos ascended uh then the acroan war is magic's version of the trojan war it was referenced way back when with a Crowan horse um, <clears throat> in the new set, we see at the top that a, uh, a Crowan king is taking away this other Polis's king's uh, wife. Then we see that he sends his people after her, and there's this war, but the, um, the I'm blanking now, the weaving is unfinished at the end because no one wins from the war. And I guess whatever Mel Polis this was was destroyed or something along those lines. If it was Melitus... The king might have died, um, but I thought it was a very nice bit of storytelling that in the middle of the war scene, the entire uh, tapestry just is stops. It hasn't been it hasn't been written, hasn't been finished. I want to believe that this is still an ongoing war. One of the things about the Trojan War in Greek myth is that it was a very long war. And so I, I want to believe that uh, Simeon is the one who this is about, that that Anax kind of stole Simeon from someone else. Um, that's what triggered this war. I don't know who's, whose side on, is on, on, on what side or whatever, but I want to believe that it's unfinished because it's still an ongoing conflict with someone. Uh, then we have the first Iroan Games, which is an Olympics thing. Uh, this one refers to the uh, Iroan Games that happened in Akros, 
which are functionally similar to the Olympics, but as we learned on Arena Athlete from the original block, they don't give out medals. This card does, because this is the first one. Times change. Olympics have changed a lot in the last couple thousand years. They've, they've changed a lot in the last hundred years. Uh, so I, I don't think it's a flavor issue that the saga gives you a medal at the end where we have a card that says you no longer get a medal. I'm fine with that. I like showing that change. I think that opens up the question, why did that change? When did they stop giving medals and instead reward people with an audience with Iroas? That's interesting. So let's talk about the legends in the set very quickly. So first we have Daxos 3.0, Daxos Blessed by the Sun. Daxos is now a demigod and an enchantment creature. And you can see uh, that his returned mask is now his shield. And he has been gifted a sword that has the visual motif of Heliod's spear. Caliphae, Beloved of the Sea, is a character we've talked about a lot on this podcast because we really like her. Uh, Kiora pretended to be Caliphae way back in the original Theros block. There's an entire fictional work surrounding her noun called the Caliphaea, which is essentially um, Theros's version of the Odyssey told in Nixborn Brute, Nixborn Colossus, uh, Nixborn Corsair, Nixborn Marauder, Nixborn Seaguard, and Unknown Shores, where she's exploring like the Dacra Isles and the sea. Timoret, chosen from death, is obviously Timoret the Murder King. Uh, Timoret was the quote-unquote king of Odunas, which is uh, the Minotaur, uh, not the Minotaur, I'm sorry, the returned necropolis in the um, in the mountains of Theros. It's funny that you just pronounced it necropolis because functionally, yes, that's how that word constru- is constructed and polis is a regular word here, but you can probably just say necropolis. I specifically said it like that as distinct from necropolis because it is, it's funny because the necropolises, the necropolises, are much more literal on Theros than they are elsewhere, where they're graveyards. Is is this a necropotence versus a necropotence thing? I are we know. bringing that early magic argument back? <laughs> I'm not going to get back into that one. <laughs> Annex, hardened by the forge, is the king of Akros, who has been turned into a, a demigod. Now, all, everyone else has been pulled from death, and a lot of people have been asking, is Annex dead? And he was wounded after his battle with Rordon the Rageblood, but we don't really know what happened to him. We know Symede is gone, claimed by Karanos uh, in exchange for flooding out the Minotaurs, so we just don't really know. Maybe he died of a broken heart. Pull to Padme. Renata, called to the hunt, um, is a new character uh, who has never been referenced before, but's a legendary hunter that is the demigod champion of Nylea. So we have a bunch of other fun legends. One of my favorites is uh, Taranaika, Acro and Veteran. Her card is set in front of the Gideon statue we see in Rest in Peace from the Gideon Signature Spellbook product. And she has the flavor text, I like to think Kithian keeps watch over all of us. Because remember, nobody on Theros knows who Gideon is, but they all know Kithian. Kithian and his irregulars are like famous war heroes from Acros. That fun keep watch line is obviously a reference to the Gatewatch Oaths. 
And the whole point of this card uh, is to turn your creatures into Gideons. When she attacks, you untap another creature you control, and that creature has base power and toughness 4-4 and gains indestructible. That's Gideon Blackblade. That is uh, the same size, I think, as uh, Gideon's Magic Origins, Gideon side, the, the Planeswalker side. Uh, this is a card that is meant to invoke Gideon. This is a hero of Akros who remembers Kithian and honors him and inspires people in his stead. And the whole card is just a vehicle to make you cry and remember that Gideon is dead. And it succeeded at that, so good job. We also have Illyrios Enraptured, who is our um, magic version of Narcissus. Uh, we have Dalakos, Crafter of Wonders, who is our version of Daedalus. Brian mentioned if Dalakos is a merfolk, why are those wings worn by a human? Because he's smart enough not to wear them himself. Hactos the Unscarred is our Achilles analog, probably fighting or fought in the Acroan War. Uh, we also have uh, Kunoros, Hound of Athreos, who is our actual legendary Cerberus thing. We had a bunch of Cerberuses in the original set. Uh, one of them was Underworld Cerberus, which functionally was the legendary Cerberus who guards the Underworld type trope. Kunoros does this a little more aggressively with the Graft Digger's Cage text. And Hound of Athreos makes it clear that uh, this Cerberus is the guardian of the underworld who's related to one of the gods, much like the mythic Cerberus is. Uh, then there's my wife, Siona, captain of the Pileus. She is our Jason of Jason and the Argonauts. Uh, the Pileus is her ship. This is one of my favorite references because the her name, Siona, is an anagram of the old Latin spelling of Jason. Oh, I didn't know that. Cool. So, quick Hellenistic linguistic lesson. J's did not exist in the Latin alphabet. The Latin alphabet has 24 letters. Uh, there is no J and no W. W would show up later and J would show up because Latin had a consonant I. So uh, when you would transcribe the name Jason into Latin, it would be spelled I-A-S-O-N. In English, we use the Roman alphabet and the Latin alphabet. So uh, when you anagram that to Siona, you are using the Jason letters and putting them in a different order for a new character to reference. And and I even I did not catch that at first when, when this card was printed uh, because I didn't realize with the I and J switching. And then I was like, oh, I feel dumb for not seeing that. But it's so good. Great. It's so good. That is really awesome. You can see a golden ram in her art as well, uh, way in the background. So it's they're making it a little more clear that this is a Jason and the Argonauts thing. We also have Palucranus Unchained, who is loose in the underworld. Um, I want to talk real quick about the borderless Elspeth Planeswalker art. Uh, we see her there with Shadow Spear. But on the left, we see the moment from uh, Deicide where she slays Xenagos, and on the right, we see her um, defeating Heliod, which is a, a, a very cool moment to have immortalized on her art there. Uh, so the showcase art for the set shows the gods and demigods. So it depicts the gods and demigods as constellations in, like, the ceiling art of, like, a planetarium or something. Uh, so what's really neat is that you can see all the little dots and lines in the outlines of the figures, but one of the things that has confused people is that Thassa's art has Dekela, her Bident, on it, 
whereas her her new her actual set art has her new weapon which is a uh, modified fishing spear a monodent if you will that's because these are like old artistic depictions of the gods and not literal depictions of them so like the art for thassa has not changed in this old buildings you know planetarium ceiling so that's still the version of thassa that you see in the showcase art so let's run through some uh final remaining uh flavor gems so we've got leonin of the lost pride which i really like the aaron miller art on this but uh it's also cool that all the leonin band together in the underworld to fight off uh or survive essentially as long as they can okay here it goes you ready lorelei yes ichthyomorphosis how did i do pretty good like 90 percent. ichthyomorphosis would be like the way to enunciate that correctly <laughs> uh anyway it's a a funny card that is a joke about turning someone into a fish you gotta read the flavor text so the flavor text is tykthist's military career was a flop ah, <laughs> ah waka waka because tykthus is a fish now and fish fish flop around on land i love puns i was on the creator text team for this set we did a lot of cool things I really like the jokes in this set. There are, there are not as many as like um, Eldraine or the last couple of Ravnica sets or even the core set. But I think the jokes that did make it into the set are pretty good. Uh, Ichthyomorphosis is my favorite card in the entire set. Uh, I'm very happy that it exists. The next one I want to talk about is Nadir Kraken, which is a fantastic piece of flavor. It creates tentacle tokens. And the reason why that's cool is because in so much fiction, when the sea monster, octopus, kraken, or whatever, attacks a ship and starts wrapping its tentacles around it, it's the individual tentacles that you're attacking, not really the creature itself. It's just a cool bit of flavor. Like in RPGs, you have to fight off the tentacles, not necessarily the creature itself. It reminds me of the Tentalus battle in The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword. That's a good one. Minion's Return has some flavor text that mentions Phoenix as being the first returned, and that the path out of the underworld that the return take to escape is called the Path of Phoenix. So that one is, at the very least, what the story is. It's not clear if Phoenix was a, a mortal who ascended to godhood, or if there was a legend of the first returned who became this god, or what, because of the weird way the metaphysics on Theros work. I believe he was a real person. I believe in Phoenix. Which is probably a mistake, because he's a liar. <laughs> he's like literally the god of lying. <laughs> I like him. <laughs> so uh, Blood Aspirant is amusing, because Jay originally put this card on this list saying it was um, a remaining fanatic of Xenagos because of the oversized horns, and then I was like, no, you have to pay attention to the rest of the card, because if you look at the weapon, the way the horns curve on the weapon and, and the gigantic sledge that it is, uh, this is a satyr who wants to be a minotaur, who wants to worship Mogus and be like a big, beefy, powerful minotaur, and, and I think that's very adorable, because this is essentially a satyr in... Uh, very casual minotaur cosplay and i think that's cute idyllic tutor has one of my favorite flavor texts in this set this is a 
obviously a high impact reprint, but like going and searching for an enchantment. This is this is a moment we wanted to show gods being nice. So the flavor text is very simple. You are loved, child. A quote from whatever god is reaching down to this person. I assume Karametra. Because Karametra is generally pretty nice and helpful. She's great. So a, a lot of Theros is built around the gods being jerks. And it's nice to just have a card that is like, hey, maybe sometimes it's actually like okay to like believe in a god and they can do nice things for you in return and have this healthy you know, deity worshiper relationship. And so that's nice to show. We've got a couple other outstanding Greek myths that make it onto cards. So Impending Doom is a card for the story of the Sword of Damocles. Uh, Damocles was a, got into an argument with um, Dionysus, the party god, about, uh, you know, immortality and ruling and whatnot. So uh, Dionysus was like, okay, we can trade places for a day. So during the day that Damocles sat upon Dionysus' throne, Dionysus had tied a gigantic sword with a single horsehair above the throne. And in his one day of godhood, Damocles spent most of the time cowering, worrying about the sword sitting above his head. And Dionysus was like, yeah, even if you're a king, you have a lot of power, but there's still a lot of danger because everyone's going to want to get go after you and you never know uh, you know when an assassination or a war or any of that stuff could happen so uh, it was a little god teaching a mortal a lesson moment voracious typhon is a snake beast in from the underworld uh typhon is a specific reference to a monster in greek mythology that assaulted mount olympus and was killed by zeus uh zeus had to call upon the help of um the hundred-handed ones and a bunch of the other gods to kill Typhon, but uh, in in standard fantasy adaptations, Typhon is just a kind of monster. This isn't a legendary thing. It's just a th kind of thing that exists now. Bronzehide Lion is a reference to the Nemean Lion, which is a gigantic, tough lion monster that uh, Heracles had to kill as one of his twelve labors. When Heracles defeated the lion, he skinned it and wore its hide as a cloak. That's kind of the most famous depictions of Heracles is, is with the skin of the Nemean lion. In the Disney movie, it was Scar. Yes, in the Disney movie, it was Scar, um, which is not canon, probably. But <laughs> honestly, maybe. I don't know. No, it's definitely not canon. Scar got eaten alive and burned alive. <laughs> maybe it's Scar's identical twin, Scar 2. <laughs> But yeah, so Bronzehide Lion dies and then becomes an aura, so it's kind of death bestow, which is a similar function to, you know, killing the lion and then wearing it like a cloak. I guess wearing it like pants in terms of magic lingo. Uh, Stinging Lionfish is cute. This is a card that I think a lot of people didn't understand the flavor of. Lionfish are venomous. So this card taps or untaps a permanent because it's injecting you with venom that either is going to function like a stimulant and get you really excited or uh, as a depressant and puts you to sleep, which... You have to know about lionfish, but it continues the trend of Theros having regular sea creatures doing cool things. Finally, Altar of the Pantheon. If you look at the art closely, it is a small building that is white and blue and pink on the outside. So Altar of the Pantheon says trans rights. And that is all the flavor gems of Theros Beyond Death. Let's talk about what we have coming up in the future, because uh, obviously we don't have another set for a few months now. Um, and we don't really know if there's any other surprises other than the secret lair coming up. So the next couple weeks, our very own 
Chris RD19 is going to be uh, DMing some mini sessions of D&D for us. So if you want to see uh, D&D set on a homebrew Theros world, definitely tune in and check it out. If you want to see us embarrass or listen, I should guess I should say, to us embarrass ourselves uh, playing D&D and be humiliated, you are welcome to. We start next week, so please do turn in. Tune in. Uh, and then in a couple weeks, we have uh, James Wyatt, who is a member of the R&D world building team and was the creative lead on Theros. Uh, he'll be here to talk to us all about what went into uh, designing Theros. I'm very excited for that. James is a fantastic person uh, and was my boss on this set. So it'll be nice to like do like a little review uh, all, all this time later after working on it. Also, speak for yourself on the getting embarrassed in D&D part. I'm going to be awesome. I'm going to be awesome, too. So let's move on to final thoughts. My final thought is that we have plenty of Fire Emblem characters, and we did not need an eighth one, but it's okay. It did not crush my childhood or ruin any of the characters I like. And we have six new chances for them to get it right and get me a real Assassin's Creed character and not just a me outfit. My final thought is, uh, in our live listen chat right now, Chris is actually listening and said, Okay, definitely going with my plan for how to open the game. Y'all did this to yourself. So, I expect we're <laughs> going to be horrendously humiliated. Chris has done a couple uh, short D&D sessions on our Discord server. And uh, he, he, he will not hesitate to make us look like idiots. Um, it's going to be fun. Um, and speaking of, you know... Chris listening right now and our Discord server that's had some D&D things run on it before. If you head over to patreon.com slash thevorthoscast and support us starting whenever you want, today even, uh, you can get some of these neat rewards. So everyone who supports us gets access to our Discord community where Vorthoses from around the world are having a whole bunch of fun with this new Theros set. It's so good. I love the set a lot. It's really great. I think it's designed really well. It's finally out on Arena, pre-releases this weekend. It's going to be great. Go play Theros. We also have on a higher tier a monthly episode called Pull from the Deep, which is just a kind of a short podcast episode where we talk about something that we wouldn't talk about in a normal episode that relates to magic, and you get like a little more in-depth look at us as people. And then at our highest tier, you can be a live listener. So we'd record our episodes Thursday nights around 7, 7.30 Eastern Time. And if you are on that tier, we have a nice little uh, text chat so you can listen, talk to each other, send us mean messages while you listen, uh, chat with us before the show and after the show, and uh, get to listen to the episode a couple days early, which is a sweet perk. So if those are things you're interested in, head over to Patreon and uh, pledge today. We can't keep making the show without you, so we super duper appreciate it. Thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos Cast.